0: you've been true to pull us through. And so God have your way in this place. Speak to our hearts and we truly trust you for the change that you want to affect in our hearts today. We love you in Jesus name and all of God's people said amen. Can you give God your best praise? Can you do that? Come on. Come on. Come on. He's worthy. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You may be seated in the presence of God. Amen. Good morning to all of you. Let me try that again. Good morning, y'all. Mad at me? Y'all mad? <laughs> I need to check before I preach this. Y'all, y'all all right? <laughs> I thought y'all be a little bit happier. We went from one hundred and nine to one hundred and one in terms of temperature. You ought to be shouting "Amen" just on that. Come on now, Amen. God bless you. God bless you. But we surely honor God for all that He'll say and do this day. Amen. What well, we've had twenty six days above 100. I think that's what it is. 28 days. And we haven't even hit August yet. Amen. Yeah, but but God's still in charge. God's still on the throne. So, we thank him for all that. want to continue in our series. We have uh, one more sermon after this. Uh, the fifth gospel uh, that we've been talking about which captures the experience of uh, my wife and I's experience to Israel and just trying to share a little bit uh, with you and those uh, places that moved us and helped us to see the text and our faith a little bit differently and hopefully that will be your experience as well. <laughs> and so, that's the goal of our series. So, I got two texts that I want to read to you. Our meditation text is is found in Ephesians six verse twelve and here's what it says for our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Sometimes you can be fighting an unseen force thinking you're fighting a physical force. Amen. And then our main text is found in Luke chapter four verses 16 through 30 that connects with uh, one of the places. That Lisa and I had a chance to visit, and it reads like this. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as was, as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and he opened the book and found the place where it was written, "The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor." He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set free those who are oppressed to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on Jesus. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing all who were speaking well of him and wondering at the gracious words which were falling from his lips they were saying is this not Joseph's son? He said to them no doubt you will quote this proverb to me physician heal yourself. Whatever we heard was done at Capernaum do here in your hometown as well. And he said truly I say to you no prophet is welcome in his hometown but I say to you in truth there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the sky was shut up for three years in six months when a great famine came over all the land and yet Elijah was sent to none of them but only to Zarephath to the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow and there were many lepers in Israel at the time of Elisha the prophet and none of them were cleansed but only Naaman the Syrian that's Israel's enemies and all the people of the synagogue were filled with rage and if I can put an archery translation a murderous rage as they heard Jesus's first sermon they got up and drove him out of the city led him to the brow of the hill on which their city had been built in order to throw him off the cliff but passing through their midst he went his way say what you want (laughs) Jesus's first sermon didn't go too well (laughs) Oh my Lord, I want to talk about not without a fight, not without a fight. Tell your neighbor it's not going to happen without a fight. As I stated before, my wife and I had a chance to visit Israel two months ago. Uh, this was Lisa's first time; it was my second time. And and on this trip, uh, we were able to go on what is called the Fifth Gospel Immersion Trip. By fifth gospel, we're not talking about another gospel. The gospel is the same throughout history. Paul preached at 1 Corinthians 15, Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. I'm giving you a quick 10-word summary. But that is the gospel, will always be the gospel. So, the fifth gospel, we're not suggesting another gospel. We're not suggesting some hidden gospel that the church hid in terms of hiding the truth from the faithful Because we live in a culture that loves conspiracy theories, don't we? No, no, no. The fifth gospel in a word basically says, listen, you can read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you can get a sense of the gospel, but when you visit there and you visit the places where Jesus preached, when you visit the places where he ministered, where he told his parables, where he preached in those synagogues, where he debated the religious scholars you get a fuller sense and a deeper sense of the context and ministry of Jesus. When you visit the place where he grew up, which is Nazareth, you get a sense of what life may have been like for him. And thus, what happens for you. You come away with a deeper sense of faith. That's the idea. And so as we said last time, we made the statement, if you've ever read a book about a faraway place, you know That you can read a book about a faraway place, but when you visit that place, how many of y'all know it takes on a completely different meaning? That's the idea. And so, I got a few pictures I want to show you. If you would pull a few pictures for me. That's the first one. This guy lives in the West Bank. He is a graduate of the University of Alabama. This is for Joseph Williams. He's not here today. He's an avid Roll Tide fan. And for any Roll Tide fans, Alabama is in Israel, too. This is the banner he has in his restaurant. And he, he graduated in 19, I think he told me 1992 And so I'm actually a little bit older than that guy right there. So give me the next slide. And this is living proof that my wife can take a risk. Yes, Lisa did ride a camel in the West Bank. <laughs> There's the proof. <laughs> You're probably asking, Pastor, why did you not get on, on a camel? I didn't have enough faith that day. But yes, she did ride on a camel. Next slide, please. And this hill is called the Mount of Precipice. This is the mount that we just read about or the cliff in which the people tried to push Jesus off. Next slide, please. That's the view from the cliff. I took that picture. It's about 13 feet high in the air. It's a pretty serious cliff. Tell your neighbor, they were trying to kill Jesus. (laughs) Tell your neighbor, don't preach this sermon in your home church. You might get killed, okay? Next slide. Uh, that's us, the group there and um that's Johnny, a Palestinian Christian right there and that's another view. Next slide, please. And then they've made a monument of that spot. It's called the Mount of Precipice. And actually over to the left, that's the city of Nazareth, which is also on a hill. And the the mount itself is actually outside of the city. And and so when I when I got there, this thing had an impression on me. I want to read the text, verse 28. And it says all the people in the synagogue were filled with the rage as they heard these things and they got up and drove him out of the city and led him to the brow of the hill on which their city had been built in order to throw him down the cliff. That really blew my mind because, number one, most uh, uh, historians and archaeologists believe that that's the the real cliff that Jesus was probably, the the crowd tried to push him off, mainly because it's the only cliff next to Nazareth. It's the only one. Matter of fact, we pass by the place where the synagogue, where Jesus would have preached his first sermon. And as I told you, they always build a church uh, over every place. So, it's, it's, it, there's a church on top of it, unfortunately. That, that's just the way they did things. But they, but they do have a sense of sacred place. They, they see it as a sacred place. And from that temp, from the, the church to where he preached to that, to that Mount Precipice, it's about a two-mile walk. So, so it actually fits the text. They drove him out of the city and drove him up the hill. Now, this is the part that tripped me. Now, thanks to modernization, we were able to drive the bus about 80% of the way up the hill. But the last 20%, it was about a 20-minute walk, and it was uphill. And even though it was paved, it was still a workout, y'all. Brother man was sweating by the time he got to the top of the hill, Okay. And it just got me to thinking, if in a modern way, I can get to the top of the hill without with very little energy, what about the people that were so angry that were willing to march him up this hill in an effort to kill him? They were angry. They were mad. They they were going to kill him without thought. And it got me thinking about the status quo. And here's my premise for the whole word. Here it is. Change never comes without a fight. The crowd that Jesus was preaching to in a sense represented the status quo. This is the crowd he grew up with. This was the people he went to church with. These are normal people. They, They like the things the way they are. Jesus comes preaches a sermon that's not popular, that goes against the traditional way of faith, and what do they do? They don't just disagree with them. They don't just excommunicate them. No, we're going to drive you up a hill, and if we can, we're going to kill you, brother, because change never happens. It doesn't happen without a fight. It doesn't happen without a fight. Most of y'all know that I'm, I'm a big avid fan of trying to work out and stay in shape and all that kind of stuff. And so, I do a lot of my running early in the morning when it's still dark. And so, when I'm running, I want lighted streets. I pay taxes just like anybody else. Say amen. I expect my streets to be lighted. And so, there's a portion where I run that sometimes the street lights are not working. And so, I've gone through the right channels. And I've connected with the right Texas agencies to make sure the lights are on. Did it the first time. And within two weeks, bingo, the lights came on. Major accomplishment. I shared it with my wife. Three weeks later, they were back off. So, what did I do? I went back through the same Texas agency. I said, hey, I sent these photos. I went through your processes. The lights were on for about two weeks. You turned them off. After the second time, they turned them on for about two months. They back off. Problem is Texas A's you don't know what kind of Negro they dealing with. Y'all pray for Texas. Say amen. <laughs> My point is, if I'm going to get them things right, it's not going to happen without a fight. And, and I don't know what it is about Christians. We, we have this manner from heaven Christianity uh, that says that God will always give us what we want and there'll never be a struggle. Why, even Frederick Douglass said, listen, you can't even have any progress without a struggle. That whatever it is that we believe that God is doing in our lives and that God comes into our life to make some things happen, it never happens without a fight. A stronger faith will never happen without a fight. Better relationships will never happen without a fight. Financial health will never happen without a fight. Physical and mental health is not going to happen without a fight. The work of justice and the work of righteousness and turning around our communities will never happen without a fight. God is a God who loves to get in a good fight. And the question is will we join Him in the fight? So today I want to suggest to you three important ingredients that we need to have if we're going to join God in this fight. And what we need to win. Number one is clear in the text. We need the power of God's spirit. We need the spirit of God for the purpose of energizing the mission of God for his purpose. Text says when he came to Nazareth, he went into the synagogue and he opened the, the scroll to Isaiah 61 where it says the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. And he quotes that great text. And it's it's a great principle that the Spirit of God affirms who we are and our role in God's plan. And the reason why many times as Christians we struggle with our spiritual identity is because we don't understand that our identity is connected to our mission. Our identity is connected to our calling that God gives us spiritual identity that is unshaken, but the identity is is affirmed, the identity is made sure as we walk in our mission and our calling for life. And so if you go back to the previous episode, it's interesting to note that even before Jesus comes to his home church to preach his mission statement, that the devil attacked him in two places. And guess what the two places were? He attacked him in his identity and he attacked him in his mission. He said to him, if you are the son of God, that's identity, turn these stones to bread. Wait a minute. He was just baptized where the father said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. He already had an identity. But if it's one thing that the devil wants, he wants to confuse us in who we are. And then the devil tried to give him the kingdoms of the world. Wait a minute. He was already the king of kings. My Bible says that when the Magi came looking for him, they asked the question, where is he who is born a king? He was already a king. He was already the Messiah. And that's exactly how the devil attacks us. He goes after our identity. He goes after our calling. And many times we miss that our identity is connected to the mission that God has given us. He doesn't want to know who we are. And so the devil doesn't want us to know that we're more than conquerors in Christ. He doesn't want us to know that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. He doesn't want us to know if God be for us, then who can stand against us? He doesn't want us to know that he who began a good work in us He will finish. We may have some slip-ups. We may trip up, but God is never done with us. He doesn't want us to know that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. He doesn't want us to know that our God will supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Why? Because we belong to him. But then also, too, the devil doesn't want us to know that he's given us a worthy mission and we struggle with this. Devil wants to destroy us because the spirit of God, listen to me, he is in our lives to energize us for the mission of God. When our lives are aligned with God's mission and what he's doing in the world, that's when we experience the power of the spirit. The spirit of God is trying to bring light where there's darkness. The spirit of God's trying to bring a witness to where there's lies. He's trying to make a difference where the world is broken. And when our lives are aligned with the work of God in the world, that's when we experience the power of the Spirit. The Spirit. And I talked about this, the messio day, the mission of God. The mission of God assumes that God is already in the world working. And I know many of us as Christians, we have this idea that God is sitting on the throne. He is. But that's not all he's doing. And so over in Acts chapter 7, when Stephen was stoned, the Bible says he looked up in heaven, and Jesus was at the right hand of the Father. And before he died, he was able to see God sitting on the throne. But then in Acts chapter 9, Jesus was knocking Paul on his behind. In other words, in one sense, he's in charge and he's on the throne, but that doesn't preclude that he's not in the world actively trying to bring about his mission for the world that we might make a difference for the world why because when we make a difference that's when the world discovers who we truly are and so where this really came to came to reality for me what came back to mind was that scene in the first movie Black Panther where T'Challa had his first challenge with M'Baku y'all remember that Baku came with his crew <laughs> they came in woo, woo, <laughs> came in ready to fight and, and so they had the fight going on and all that kind of stuff and uh, T'Challa he didn't have his black power powers you know he, he wasn't able to throw down and he was kind of he was kind of getting whacked Say, man y'all know I'm telling the truth and, and, and his mother played by Angela Bassett shouted something that turned the entire match show them who you are And when he began to accept who he was, he repeated it in the battle, that's when things began to turn. And that's when he won the battle. And that's exactly what God wants us to do. That when we engage the mission, listen to me, we show the world who we are. And so we show them who we are when we share our story and how the gospel has changed us. We show them who we are when we share the heart of Jesus with ministries of compassion and care. We show them who we are not by trying to be in power, but sharing biblical justice that brings equity to everybody. We show them who we are when we live out our faith with integrity and in truth. We show the world who we are when we live out our identity And our mission for the gospel. Number one, we need the power of the spirit. Number two, we need a challenge. That is God knows that we need a challenge. Otherwise, we're going to fall for conformity. He knows we need it. Matter of fact, I go so far to say this. If you really want God to work in your life, make sure you're involved in the challenges that God's involved because God loves to show up in a challenge the late pastor E.K. Bailey would say it like this, you ought to find a fight, a good fight, and get in it. (laughs) That's what he would say, because that's how God rose. And so here in verses 23 through 27, Jesus uh, shares two incidents in the Old Testament, uh, one during the ministry of Elijah and one during the ministry of Elisha, his successor, in which God provided for a widow and God provided for a Gentile leper, a Gentile widow and a Gentile leper. And the implication was is that ministry is about doing something for folk who are outside of your purview. And and that's what enraged the Jews. They only wanted to do things for the things that made them feel good. They didn't want to step out of their comfort zone. They didn't want to step out of conformity. And Jesus says, no, what you don't understand Your father does the challenging work outside of our comfort zone. That's where he does his greatest work. And that's where he seeks to change the world. God knows without a challenge, we will easily slip into conformity and we'll conform to the status quo and we won't be difference makers, but we'll simply affirm what the status quo is doing. Jonathan Sachs, great writer, said it like this. Dead fish go with the flow, but live fish swim against the current. <laughs> That—that's what, That's what I'm talking about. We, we go against the current, y'all. We're, we're a countercultural movement. We don't go with where everybody else is going. If we are, it must mean something has died in us. No, God has put something alive in us. And so how do we find a challenge? Number one, it starts with prayer. We have to begin to ask God the question, God, what is it that you want us to see that breaks your heart? Because many times we can be so caught up in our routines in life, we'll miss what's even going around, going on in our own neighborhoods. We'll miss what's going on in our families. We'll miss what's going on in our jobs. We see the things we want to see, but we see the things that we'll miss the things that God wants us to see. And so one of the reasons as a church we we early on got involved into the sex trafficking because we discovered even in this neighborhood it was happening and the church needed to be a part of something that made a difference and helped young ladies come out of that. And so it begins with understanding what is it that you see, God, what is it that breaks your heart that you want us to see? That's a prayer we got to pray. Number two, it's exposure. What are the places, God, that you want me to visit and be exposed to? That is sometimes we got to travel out of our routines to the places that God lays on our heart. And here I want to give a big shout out to Ricky Parker. Ricky Parker, good member of this church, was so moved by what happened in Uvalde that he traveled down there himself just to see what was going on and to see if there was an opportunity that we as Christ community could support. And how many y'all know this gun violence, no matter where you fall on the whole gun carrying or what have you, the gun violence is out of control. Come on, somebody. It is out of control in the nation, and y'all know it's out of control in our community. I wish I had a witness right there. It's out of control. But then number three, it's going to take some faith. That is, we got to trust God with what we have, that we got, we're not going to always have everything we need to move into what God is calling us to do to resolve what the issue is. See, some of us, we never would have started Amazon. From history, that it was almost 9 to 11 years before Amazon even turned a profit. Some of us would have been done after two years. I ain't making no money for nine years. I'm out of here. But life doesn't work that way, and God doesn't work that way. All of us at some level, at some time, have to take a step of faith with something. We took a step of faith when it came to our families, our choices, our jobs. We take faith uh, faith steps every single day of our lives. And the same thing is true when it comes to the calling and the mission that God has on our lives. And so, my wife and I have been wanting a STEM education camp in Christ's community for years, and, and we just didn't, didn't make it happen. And my sister in law, bless her heart, uh, she's involved with Nesby Junior, National Society of Black Engineers, uh, the junior version, and she had been putting chapters all over the country. I think one year, if I'm right, Lisa, was it like 70 chapters she did? And, and I went to her, I said, You know what? You've treated me like a brother, not a brother in law, like a brother. And here I'm a pastor, and you're putting all these chapters everywhere else, and you ain't put one in Christ's community yet. And she came to this church in 2019, her and her her husband, and got us started with STEM education. Uh, This month will be our second camp. 16 kids registered. Robotics camp, y'all. And that thing is going. Got some clips that I got to show you. Chris Road Eclipse. Building robots, y'all, and the software to run them. And excited. And on time. Say amen. Isn't that wonderful? Started with an idea. Taking it further, take my hat off to Raquel, to Ricky, to Lisa. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise for them. Now, why am I raising this? This is how we have to show the world who we are. I came up at a time when, listen, it was truth. Just give me the truth. And the truth was enough to get us there. And I still believe in the truth. We live in a day where people want to see but how you live it. They, they want to know, does it really work? That, that's the problem. And this new, this new young seeker, listen, they're not coming unless there's something in which you're making a difference in the world. And the church, here it is, and I say it like Tim Keller, the church has to move from just simply knowing about Jesus to loving like Jesus. And that's, that's the challenge of this world. But number three, here it is. You are a church that cares. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Been pastoring this church long enough to know. You, you may be a little hesitant on things sometimes. You may be wondering, okay, is this the right way to do it? But it's one thing I know about Christ's communion. I've preached at a whole bunch of churches. This is a church that cares about people. This is a church that wants to make a difference. This is a church that can accept the call that God has on us. Let's do this together. We need a challenge. And here's the last one: we need a true faith. This is the text that blows me away and, I, and this is why I'm just really, I just, I'm just continually baffled. Verse 28, and all the people in the synagogue were filled with rage and I said a murderous rage because they wanted to kill him as they heard these things and they got up and drove him out of the city led him to the brother hill on which their city had been built in order to throw him down a cliff and thank God, but passing through the midst he went his way and here's my principle right here, please don't miss this if we're not brutally honest about ourselves and our faith, it will brutally expose us for who we really are. I'm going to say that one more time. If we're not brutally honest about who we are in our faith, our faith will brutally expose us for what we really are. How does a people who claim to love God come to a place where they can kill somebody? in a moment's notice. How, 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 how can a person claim to love Jesus and have a love affair with violence and abuse? And I'm going to tell you why. It's very simple. Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship with God. Watch this. In which I'm challenged to be honest about myself. That's why we do the Lord's Supper, because what does Paul say in the Lord's Supper? Examine who? Yourself. If you can't examine yourself, it's over. It's over. Matter of fact, I have one of my favorite quotes, Socrates, the unexamined life is not worth living. How does a person get to the place where they can claim to love Jesus and, and hate somebody? I remember reading stories about how the Freedom Riders rode in the 60s and church folk in their suits were trying to kill them on a Sunday morning. How do you get to that place? It is an unexamined life. It is a life that does not self-reflect and is not honest before God to say, God, this is an issue. And let me really put this thing very, very plain. There's a whole lot being said about this January 6th thing. But you better hear me. Under the right conditions and the right situation, do you think you above that? Do do we think any of us are better than anybody else? My Bible says the heart is desperately wicked, which means the moment you see somebody do something crazy, Don't think that somehow you're bigger than them and you would never think of doing anything like that because if you didn't come up like them, you don't know what you would do. So the faith is about examining ourselves and coming before God and confessing and repenting That's why David said, search me, oh God, and see if you see anything in me that's not right. Show it to me because I'm so blind to my blind spots that I might be everything that you want me to be. Let me close with this. Our faith should make a difference. Our faith should be true. Our faith should be from our heart. Our faith should have a fight in it what God has called us to do. I want to share this with you and I don't share these experiences too often but it so moved me. I felt this is the right place and how we're energized and we're fulfilled because we live in a day where so many people feel, feel so unfulfilled in their lives or even in their Christian faith as if something's missing and I truly believe it's the calling. I just believe that with all my heart that there's nothing in this life that will satisfy you, but it's only what you do for God, and I'm not saying you shouldn't do any all the other things. There's a place for that. Please, do it. Do it. Do your vacation. Have your fun in the name of Jesus. Have fun. Amen. But I'm talking about the ultimate things. The ultimate, the ultimate uh, experience and satisfaction in your heart is that which is done for him. That's the only thing that matters, and that's the only thing that brings a sense of peace and sanity in this crazy world. And so a friend of mine, uh, he was celebrating 25 years in ministry, and they asked me to come speak at a Saturday event that they were having. And uh, I've been there plenty of times and spoken at his church uh, plenty of times, very, very, very good close friend of mine, and uh, love the church, wonderful church. And uh, most of you all know I've written a book, of uh, The Flourishing Marriage, one of the books that I've, I've written. And, uh, but that was, what, five, six years ago when I wrote the book. And so I'm sitting there enjoying the events, and it was, a, it was a great event. Lady comes up to me almost in tears, and she has a copy of my book. And she says, would you please sign, a, tine, sign this book for me? I said, sure. She says, you don't understand. She said, this book, with a lot of work, kept me and my husband together. We would be divorced <laughs> if you had not written this book. Now, granted, I got to speak, y'all. She messed me up. She messed me completely up. But in that moment, I knew what I was called to do. God affirmed my calling and my purpose. Nothing else mattered because I knew what I was put on this earth to do. Father, I bless you and thank you again. this moment and this time that Lord, you've put us in this world to fight for your mission and the call that you've placed on our lives that we might be difference makers in this crazy world. I lift up your people. I lift up every individual in the sound of my voice and that Lord, We would truly know if we if we are saved that we belong to you. We belong to you. But Lord, that belonging is fleshed out in the calling, the mission you have for us. And everybody has a mission. It's not the same. But everybody, everybody who's called by your name has a mission, has a has a calling. And God, I pray that today will be the first step for somebody in that direction. As we come to take the Lord's Supper, move in our midst and press upon us (coughs) as you did with Jesus. Came out of that wilderness temptation with such power to preach his mission statement. Do that for us this day in Jesus name. Amen.